Hi, everyone, and welcome to Hear, Hear, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my second fiction story, Abundance, Not Scarcity. If you'd like to get a paperback copy of the book, or if you'd like a free copy of this story as an ebook optimized for iPhone or iPad, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. There's links there to all my writing, including the link to the paperback order form, as well as a link to the Google Drive folder with free ebook versions of both of my fiction stories. My previous story, What There Is To Be Done, is also available in this podcast feed. Just hop back to season one. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about these stories. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan or email me at dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this chapter and stick around at the end for a bonus reflection. May we all identify and come to understand God's ongoing invitations for us. Cheers. President's Day weekend was a welcome paid holiday for Noah. The January holidays helped break up work time, and at least each of those felt like momentous occasions to mark. New Year's Day for the calendar, and Dr. King Day for human history. President's Day, on the other hand, felt totally obscure to him. It's little more than another excuse for sales at car dealerships and mattress stores and a chance for a three-day weekend. He remembered someone who lived in Ireland telling him that every so often they'd get a day off, and it was just called bank holiday each time. Noah liked the simplicity of that. Working five days a week in an eight-to-five job, Noah took the break however it came especially when it didn't cost him personal vacation time. His girlfriend, Joan, had the same thought about her work in human resources management. Much of the time, neither of them felt much like jamming social time into the weeknights. They lived apart by mutual choice, though perhaps more proactively Noah's choice, and often just texted or chatted on the phone after getting home on work days. Once in a while, they'd pop over to each other's places on a weeknight to cook and eat together, maybe kick back with a TV show or run a casual errand. Most of the time, they were okay saving the quantity and quality time for the weekends, and this three-day weekend was a chance to catch up on some of that. Whether by shared tiredness or indecision, they agreed on the loose plan. Come home and just PTFO from the week on Friday. Lay low for a Saturday together at Noah's place. Watch movies and shows and order in a comfort food dinner. They watched a few time-tested favorite superhero movies in the afternoon, with a few winks of inoffensive sleep mixed in got some homestyle Italian delivered from a ma-and-pa restaurant down the street, and then spent way too long binging a dramatic series well into the wee hours of the night as Saturday became Sunday. They didn't necessarily converse a ton over the course of that Saturday. Normally much of their day-to-day talk was chit-chat, and that was okay with Noah, both over the long term and in the moment. Six weeks after his retreat in Kentucky, he still remembered his distinct encounters with God, but still couldn't quite articulate what had happened or how. He put pen to paper when he got back from Kentucky, recording the experiences as descriptively as he could manage in his journal. 
but he hastily stuck those records deep in a drawer for fear of incoherence. In the meantime, he had not found the moment or the urge to share what had happened with anyone, including Joan. The only thing he had mentioned was that he was surprised how much he liked the chanting of the psalms in the monk's daily prayer. He had even bought a nice psalter from the abbey, which now lived on his nightstand and betrayed his new fondness. This was not meant to be a red herring or a way to say something without saying everything. Noah actually had found an easy piece in the psalms. He didn't quite pray eight times a day or get up at 3 a.m. on the reg, but he did try to mentally chant a psalm a day on his own, whether over breakfast or in the evening. For her part, Joan was a sweet and kind person and fun to hang with. She found Noah easy, steady, and enjoyable. Also into her late 20s and inching closer to 30, she wasn't itching to get married or have kids tomorrow, and she got the sense that Noah was similar. Joan had a punch clock job, a consistent boyfriend, a sparse and simple life. Sometimes she wished Noah would be more proactive, maybe ask her more questions about her life or the big things, maybe take bigger swings on planning dates or suggesting travel. For now, though, she was okay with humdrum, and he was too. This weekend, it meant a Saturday sleep-in, lazy movie night, another sleep-in, and then an afternoon to clean up and get fancy. They'd venture out for evening mass with the young adult crowd and a nice dinner on Sunday, which wasn't a school night this week. They weren't far from each of their childhood homes, where each of their parents still lived, yet they hadn't met until mutual friends introduced them at a bar. As for mass, they lived in a funny spot in the suburbs. In their part of the suburbs, it was a bit of a church desert, at least for Catholics. It was 15 minutes or more to any of the closest parishes, including their parish of choice, St. Lucy. Noah was raised Catholic by parents who modeled faith in a low-key way for him and his sister. Sunday Mass was a must, never a question. His parents sent him to Catholic schools, but also did what they could to get Noah to talk about theology class and school Mass and service trips that were available. He remembers times when he'd complain, about the awkwardness of reconciliation or the boredom of being at Mass, and his parents didn't become defensive or combative. They heard him out and encouraged him to be patient and curious, to keep showing up even as he brought his doubts with him. It worked just right for Noah. Now as an adult, Sunday Mass continued to be a must, never a question. Joan was raised Catholic, but when she went off to state school, she let her faith go. It wasn't malicious or some unloading of an unshakable burden. She just stopped practicing. Without any regular mass going, without any theology class, without any engagement in service or faith-forward relationships, it just sort of receded into her genetic memory. When she met Noah and they started to hang out regularly on the weekends, she learned that he was Catholic too, and that he still went to mass every week. Having his parents' understated example in his DNA, he simply invited her to join him the first time. Joan was certainly too tepid to go on her own, but she was not so cold as to reject the invite. So Joan, too, was now a fairly regular mass-goer, even if she was still heating back up from lukewarm faith. This particular Sunday, with the lazy and relaxing part of the weekend now under their belts, they walked into St. Lucy Church for mass before dinner. Joan pointed to the stained glass across the church of St. Lucy, a classic depiction of the martyr holding a tray with eyeballs on it. She smirked and put the hand that Noah wasn't holding up to her face, gesturing as if to gouge one of her eyes out. Noah gently shook his head in very mild disapproval and playfully yanked her hand a bit. Joan actually did some version of this most weeks as they entered. Noah did think it was a smidge funny, especially the first few times, but he couldn't help but feel it was her way of resisting more serious engagement with her faith. 
Once they sat down, Noah would usually take a moment to pray to that same St. Lucy, thanking her for her model of steadfast faith and radical service, like feeding the hungry in the dark and dangerous parts of her town. Noah would add a prayer of intercession that Lucy might ask God for Joan to have a softened and opened heart to the faith she had long known. After saying his habitual little prayer, Noah noticed they were settled with a good five minutes or so to spare. The pews tended to fill in with young adults at the very last minute, and even after Mass started, so there was plenty of empty pew space around them. Noah again thought about trying to describe the January retreat to Joan, the way the quiet of the Abbey invited presence and peace, the way the routinized prayer seemingly frees you from wondering how much to invest in prayer, the way following benevolent invitation led him to positive places. In the moment, Noah looked over at the mostly vacant choir area, where a volunteer was plugging in and arranging sound equipment. He thought sentimentally of the monks, whose singing wouldn't crack the top 40, but paid witness to something greater, even while using no microphones or speakers. Noah started to formulate a comment to describe the contrast between the setup for their parish choir, there, versus the stony reverberations of monastic chant. He leaned and turned to Joan. Before he started his first sentence, the bright colors and whooshing scroll of her Instagram feed, shining off her backlit phone screen, caught his eye and clammed him up. She must need this little brain break before Mass, he thought charitably. I'm glad she's here. He did notice her thumb slow the scroll briefly on a stock-looking image of fishermen in boats on a lake. Before Noah could comment in affirmation, Joan said, I'll make you fishers of men? That's a good line, Jesus. Oh, does she follow some Catholic accounts? Noah wondered. No one knew that was from the gospel they'd hear for this week's Mass and was delighted to find scripture had somehow infiltrated her feed. Noah smiled and said, Jesus' friends are fishing all day and not catching anything. So he tells them to go to the deep area and cast one more time. They're skeptical, but they do it, and they catch a crazy amount. Peter is nervous because he doesn't understand how that happened, so he fearfully tells Jesus to go. That's what Jesus says back to him, the line you saw. Ah, Joan replied. My mom recommended that account to me. It's nice to have a little break from all the selfies and ads. Nice, Noah affirmed. You know, the next part is about how they gave up everything and followed Christ. Is that your next move, too? Joan playfully smacked him in the chest. Then she straightened up and acted like he, she hadn't just smacked someone in a church. Noah remembered Joan talking less than fondly about having to say the rosary every Friday in elementary school, about feeling pressured to believe certain things in confirmation prep classes, about the ways she saw female friends acting out sexually in high school and male friends taking advantage of that. He didn't want to dismiss any of that, he knew someone who has had significant negative experiences can easily extrapolate that out to something bigger and worse, just as he could do the opposite with his positive experiences. Neither was right or wrong. It just showed how subjective that practice can be, and how impactful the example of others can be on young people. Underneath that, Noah just hoped that at some point he could have a fresh or reframed conversation, some way to engage her with some semblance of a clean slate about things. There's a broader faith in a bigger church than just those couple self-selected glimpses. Moreover, to Noah, there was a grace in the routine and the rote, if it was offered with invitation and engaged in charity, as he tried to do with her. He felt like if he could talk about his retreat, it could hint at some of these positives and offer an accessible example of religion practiced well. He also thought he could be very well full of himself.
A moment later, the gathering song began, and Joan and Noah stood up, linking hands as they rose. As Joan gave Noah's hand a little squeeze, Noah realized another chance to share himself had passed. He felt like he had seen a fastball right down the middle and chose not to swing at what easily could have been a home run. He was mostly at terms with the difficulty of describing what he saw and felt, and now he wanted to find some courage to offer it to others. As Mass began, he now turned back inward a bit. In his own prayer life, Noah was struggling to return to any sort of place of vivid color and dynamic prayer, anything like what he had experienced before. He had tried rising early with his new Psalter. He had tried coming to an empty church with his prayer. He had even given adoration a chance, something he hadn't tried since high school. When he didn't reach the place of prayer he had been before, he mellowed out a bit. His latest and greatest thought? Maybe I need to let go of the setting. Maybe this isn't so much about where and what. Maybe it's about how. I need to find my way back to the mindset, make space for quiet listening, and follow the direction being offered. What better place to start than Mass? he asked himself. Noah's internal monologues had taken him through the gospel, so as he sat to listen to the homily, he decided to come back to the church from his internal space and listen up. That day, the priest was homilizing about how some people are met with profound invitations. In the gospel, for example, Simon Peter is doggedly fishing to earn a day's keep, nearly ready to give up when he's faced with unsolicited, non-expert advice. And it's advice that works. Peter's first instinct is to think he's a sinner and unworthy of Jesus' closeness. After a moment's reflection, Peter leaves his work and becomes a disciple. The priest's point was that these stories are instructive, inspiring, and certainly worthy of reflection. However, they're not representative of the life of faith if we put them on a pedestal. If, instead, we see Peter's encounter with Christ as that of a ho-hum conversation between friends, the gentle benevolence of one friend who seeks to support another in need, then these stories hit closer to home, less pie in the sky and more daily bread. His suggestion for everyone that day was to live a life of steady prayer that cultivates an awareness and sensitivity in the spirit. This mindset can help make the ordinary conversations and actions of a day in the life the needed stimulus toward prayer and deeper, fuller discipleship. Noah found himself nodding along. On the one hand, he felt affirmed for committing to just showing up every Sunday. On the other hand, he felt challenged, in an encouraging way, to keep seeking prayer simply and try not to press for some mystical, profound episode. After resting for a beat in the presider's chair, the priest then continued to the creed and prayers of the faithful before having everyone sit for the preparation of the altar. The young adult choir was on for Mass, and they began a song that sounded fairly complex and came with no announcement. No one knew that when the choir doesn't tell you a song number or page number to turn to in your hymnals, that means it's your time to quietly listen and contemplate. Noah RSVP'd yes to that invitation. The medium-sized choir began launching into ensemble harmonies. A pair of young adults approached the gift table to retrieve the bread and wine. Noah caught sight of a flyer at the end of the pew for Cooler Heads, the local Theology on Tap knockoff program for young adults that relied upon ice-down six-packs rather than bar-side taps. Noah shifted a bit to settle his body, and then rested his hands and gently shut his eyes. What he saw next behind his eyes was the same sight as when they were open, the same altar and sanctuary, the same stained glass of St. Lucy, the same wooden pews before him. 
The only difference was that he saw himself at the ambo. The sound of his own voice as he watched himself faded in like when you first turn on the radio. He caught himself mid-speech, perhaps a bit more toward the end. So this is a new thing, but I think it'll be a fun thing, especially for us. Think of it like a fresh take on the old ideas of donut sundaes or pancake breakfasts. This time young people can grab a glass to cheers and chat together and enjoy some time together while still here at our church, the Noah before him explained. I'll be in the back after church and happy to direct you to the gathering area to grab a glass. God bless you, Noah before him concluded. People politely clapped as Noah descended the steps of the sanctuary and headed to the back. As Noah before him passed by the Noah in prayer, their perspectives merged. Noah was now within this version of himself, sort of a passenger along for a ride. He now was watching his own feet walking to take up a post in the back, settling into a spot near the old bulletins, paper relics that few young adults took after Mass anymore. Noah realized he must have been giving a reflection during post-communion announcements, because the sending forth song began and the pews began to empty. He straightened up and prepared to meet people. Folks started to exit their pews and Noah found people were looking toward him. People were pointing toward the community hall with raised brows asking, so this way? And giving thumbs up signs as they passed ahead that way. Noah felt pretty good as a crowd of two dozen or so moved in the right direction. The priest circled back up the far aisle toward the sacristy to divest from mass. The sacristan emerged in the distance to tend to the altar. Three young adults coming toward slowed up in front of him and became the first ones to stop and talk. Dude, that's a nice crowd. Glad there's enough of us on the team to sneak a few folks in there ahead of time. They're already ready to meet the rush, right, Maggie? The first woman asked. We kind of played shepherd and nudged a few people around us, but they were already going, the second woman, Maggie, said. Yeah, so let's grab a drink and see how it's going, the young man concluded. Noah nodded and followed along with the three of them. The young man and the first woman took off a little faster, leaving Noah with Maggie. I can't believe how well this young adult board is going, and how quickly it's taken off. I'm glad Meg and Greg did this together. I feel like she wanted to get involved, but I wasn't sure if he'd bite or discourage her even, she started, looking toward their apparent teammates. But I mean, it helps all of us that Father put down some money to get this going. People seemed so committed when they knew they'd earn a stipend and that we had an events budget, Maggie said. Wow, this is pretty awesome. Let's get in there then, Noah replied, authentically wanting to go check this out. Noah volunteered those words. He realized he was now actively a part of this experience. It's going to be exciting to try to get service stuff going, and then with Meg working on prayer and spirituality, and the others who are in there doing the social stuff, you just have to decide how you want to handle cooler heads, right? Maggie asked. I do, I do, Noah stalled. I have a lot of ideas, but I'll try to narrow them down soon. Okay, so that's exciting. That's happening here. And I'm in charge of it? Noah wondered. Well, we want to build on this momentum. If we're gathering after Mass once a month, it'd be awesome to have firm plans to announce next time. I know you'll be on it. Grab a drink, Maggie encouraged. They had reached the doorway into the hall, and Maggie broke off from Noah and went ahead. Noah looked around what was a pretty familiar space at this parish. He took in the off-white and not-so-romantically outdated linoleum floor. He surveyed the three tannish-brown walls with bits of mismatched and haphazardly hung sacred art. He saw the wood-brown borders of the beat-up bulletin board that typically displayed children's art. Right now it was hosting kids' epiphany illustrations and coloring pages of the three kings. 
He took in the squeaky creaks and cacophonous floor drags of the mid-gray folding chairs. Initially equally set around four round folding tables, folks were now moving them to little pods as they gathered and sat down in spontaneous groups. The young adult ministry he knew from years past was pretty minimal. A summer talk with drinks that had four people at it who barely talked to each other and left as soon as the disappointed speaker finished. This scene wasn't that of wallflowers at a middle school dance. Maggie and the other young adults he saw were making rounds, asking questions, and getting laughs and smiles. The volunteers behind the bar had readied some small rations of wine in recyclable plastic cups, and they were already preparing refills and additional servings. It made Noah wonder what else could be done. He imagined the tables giving way to theater-style seating for the folding chairs. He smelled the congealed cheese and cardboard grease of carry-out pizzas, the carbonated burst of beer cans opening to send their hoppy clouds into the air, the steamy heat and precarious hum of their old video projector firing up to show its blue ready screen on the wall. He could see their parish priest walking up to welcome everyone and lead a prayer. As he spoke, a professorial woman was plugging her laptop into the projector to ready her slides. Her intro slide popped up to reveal to everyone her university job and the title of her latest book, which got people murmuring and talking as they waited. It was a scene of vitality, of excitement, of faith living and deepening. He liked what he saw. Noah even heard the parish priest offering his prayer to this theoretical gathering of young adults. Pray that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to the Lord our God. That's funny, Noah thought. That's from the prayer at Mass. Wonder where he's going with this. Noah then felt a hand on his shoulder. It was Joan. He opened his eyes and quickly reoriented himself to the church and pews, where everyone was standing. Joan was praying aloud, rather pointedly in his direction, for our good and the good of all his holy church, as she gently looked at him and tried to draw him to stand up with just her eyes. Noah stood and played it cool, smoothing his shirt and pant sleeves to cover his turbulent re-entry to the present reality. The priest began the Eucharistic prayer. Joan was her usual self, casually attentive, almost like a Catholic school sophomore who is just trying to avoid scrutiny from supervising teachers. Meanwhile, Noah was processing. His exterior showed a lightly furrowed brow and little nods and headshakes as his thoughts circled the runway. Hmm, a young adult bored? A budget and programming areas? A buzzing social group? The chance to do community faith formation? It all looked pretty good there, Noah concluded. But is that enough? Could I work in insurance and just double down on parish life? How does my work and career run with that? Or do I need changes there too? Either way, Noah was delighted his heart and mind had lit up again. He still wasn't sure about the secret sauce to activate it. He had somehow found some amount of trust and quiet that was enough for him to see a lucid, vivid portrait of something. He rather enjoyed the rest of Mass and chose to pray with open eyes after receiving communion, offering thanks for all the good and all the life he could take in just by looking around him. After Mass, there was no actual young adult reception, though a few folks would stay and chat at their place. Noah and Joan didn't really have any friends at Mass to stay and talk with them. They did have dinner plans. They walked to the car and hopped in. As Noah started the car, he decided to be bold. Do you know the story of Bartimaeus, the blind beggar? He asked Joan. Joan, not bothered but not pleased, replied plainly. Not really. Hmm, well, it's a neat one, and it's from the Gospel of Mark, so it's pretty short and sweet. 
One of the cool parts is that Bartimaeus is one of the few named people outside of Jesus and the disciples. So it suggests that he likely went on from the episode to be prominent in the faith community and stay close to the early church somehow, Noah explained. Okay, cool, Joan said as she looked down with her phone to unlock it with her gaze. She opened and quickly closed Instagram. Instead, she popped open her browser to look at the dinner menu and think ahead to food. Noah was initially ready to be frustrated at more social scrolling, but he chilled out when he saw the menu emerge. Nah, thought Noah as he put the car in reverse. I'm not pushing this now. Let's go eat dinner. He left the thread of Bartimaeus unspun and pivoted his thoughts to dinner with her. Let me know what looks good, Noah said. As he drove to the restaurant, Joan left the air still for a few minutes and then started tossing out meal ideas. Noah decided for sure that was good enough for tonight. He was glad they went to Mass, that they went together, that they had enjoyed a weekend of rest and quantity time, and now got to go get a special treat. The chit-chat over menu items diffused the mild tension he almost felt. When he parked outside the restaurant, he was hungry. It was time to eat. In my young adult life so far, I would say that my experience of parish life has been pretty mixed. And I'll start by saying that I totally acknowledge that a good deal of that awkwardness is on me. I'm a weird mix of introverted and extroverted where I can be pretty quiet and pretty clammed up until I feel confident that I'm going to be received charitably and warmly by the people I'm with. And then I start to open up and it can happen pretty suddenly and dramatically. So I have a tough time feeling out situations and can start off pretty quiet and reserved, which isn't necessarily the best for getting into a new faith community and becoming a part of it and getting active in it. Uh, the flip side of that is that there have definitely been times where I've felt like I've tried to be outgoing and active in parish life and have found a less than warm reception. At my first parish that I attended when I moved to California for my first job, I decided I'm going to volunteer to be a Eucharistic minister. That was an odd experience to say the least because the Eucharistic ministers were primarily middle-aged and older people. They insisted that during mass, all the EMs would wear white albs, process in and out with the um, celebrant and servers and sit in the front near the altar. Most of the time, I was happy to do this. When my girlfriend, now who is now my wife, came to visit, I asked them before Mass when we were waiting to pray if I could sit in the normal part of the church with her and then come and join them for communion. They were very uh, put off by this, you know, divergence from the usual norms they had set and said that I could perhaps do it, but I needed to go back to the sacristy, put on an alb, and then quietly join them in the front well ahead of um, coming forward to the altar to receive our Eucharistic vessels and be assigned our stations. The whole thing was just very strange, and eventually I resigned the position and, and ultimately moved away from that parish. We were spoiled for a few years living in the city of Chicago, where we attended a parish that had a pre-existing young adult ministry that was very strong, boasted one of the largest Theology on Tap programs, where we could sort of just slide into prefabricated large gatherings full of young adults who wanted to live their faith and wanted to come together and socialize. So that was a huge blessing. 
But then after we were married and had our first uh, kid, we tried to become a little bit more active in our new suburban parish. And there was a parents group for little ones. And they did a great job having some events at the parish and school, having some play dates at the homes of parishioners, um, and doing some meetups around town. And so I managed to join a few of these. But whenever I went with my newborn slash infant becoming a toddler daughter, I felt like uh, I was not particularly welcomed and and I always felt awkward trying to make conversation because it felt like all the other people there, and let's be real, all moms, because a stay-at-home dad is a rare breed these days even still, uh, just didn't necessarily welcome me into their conversations or uh, reach out to include me. And I think a lot of them had been friends for a long time already. So it felt hard to break into that group as well. And now at our current parish, further out into the suburbs here, it's been tough and COVID has definitely had an impact on that. But approaching the parish with this idea I had to emulate this group at our previous parish, I was kind of given the runaround, um, not responded to quickly, had to kind of do some cage rattling and play some phone tag and finally just sent an email listing out my ideas and I'm still kind of flapping in the breeze. And so it's been a little disappointing to have grown up in a really great parish where my family, my parents took us to have benefited from our parish school and our sacramental prep and now to end up kind of uh, underwhelmed a little bit on an island. I'm the kind of person who will keep giving every Sunday and who will keep coming to mass and keep thinking about how I can make better or different efforts. And it is nice to run into my daughter's classmates from school at church and to start to see familiar faces and greet the same people over and over again. But it definitely leaves me feeling frustrated. And then on a related note, the young adult ministry piece, at least at our parish, the two parishes we've been at in the suburbs, has been pretty underwhelming, if not totally non-existent. And even when I was, uh, when I decided to attend a synod meeting for folks in their 20s and 30s, there were only five of us there. And uh, most of the people there were in their late 30s or early 40s and kind of cheating the deadline. So it's tricky. And even when I kind of looked to the religious community I work for as maybe a way to buck this trend by having a different outreach and a different network, we have to kind of admit the difficulties of COVID. But the outreach we tried to do and the gatherings we tried to facilitate had very mixed success and very low turnout. And we found that the best we can do most of the time is to create passive content like podcasts, social media graphics, and videos, and then share them and just hope that people are watching them and thinking about them and talking about them on their own. Because bringing people together at a set time for a set purpose to do some sort of specific faith formation or faith sharing just hasn't worked. So it all makes for some interesting stuff that I think you can see Noah kind of seeing the appeal in his prayerful experience of what can happen with a little money, a little group of dedicated people, and a little bit of intentional outreach. And I think the thing that is underneath that all and the way that I write that chapter and the way I imagine this stuff is that the Catholic Church has become weirdly averse to retail ministry, as I call it. The idea that building communities, building groups, happens by building relationships one-on-one, piecing those relationships together, and then taking the things you find in the relationships and meeting those needs. 
uh, in communal experiences. I think we are way too eager to passively communicate, to post flyers or blast announcements, and a little bit too averse to just doing things one-on-one in a small scale and building slowly, gradually, and intentionally. And you know what? Even that might fail sometimes, but I think there's a lot more value and a lot more redemptive content in that approach than there is in what we default to with this sort of passive ministry. So as I move into my latter young adult years here in my mid-30s and starting to look down the barrel towards 40, I hope that there's a greater growth and a greater vitality in young adult ministry for those who are about my age or a little younger and for the generations coming behind us who might come from Catholic high schools or Catholic colleges or find a renewed faith in the way that they pursue adult relationships or think about marriage and family life, and that there can be a bit of a rebirth or renewal in the church. I think one of the things that I took for myself and kind of projected forward into Noah is the idea of showing up. And I will always try to keep making room in our budget to donate to our parish and to other faith-based charitable and justice organizations. I'll keep going to Sunday Mass. And even in my timid, extroverted introversion or introverted extroversion, try to think about small ways I can try to engage more deeply in parish life and try to be part of some kind of solution and try not to exacerbate or dwell on problems that we're probably always going to have and always be fighting. That's all for this episode. Remember, all the links for this book and my other writing is at my link tree, linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Thanks for listening, and I hope your gifts and passions are meeting the needs of the people and world around you. instrumentals for this podcast were improvised and performed by Jason Pham.